Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this Thursday? Good morning. Doing well, doing well. And I, I thought we were contributing to stopping a war the other day. I mean, it, it, it was a fizzle. It didn't happen, and everybody was ready. Then there was a lot of disappointment, but they didn't. There's a few people in this world that wouldn't want a, a chance for a little fight here on there yeah. because uh, they, that's a little bit exciting. It's good for some, some markets, not good for liberty and not good for the average person that has to fight these wars. But, you know, we reported uh, yesterday that, you know, they planned a war and geared it up. Everybody knew about it and gold went up, markets went down and everybody was all set for the uh, invasion of Ukraine by that guy Biden and, uh, and Putin, you know, getting together and having their little fight. But it didn't happen. And then the market settled down, the people settled down. And uh, even yesterday, we, we were talking about who benefited and who lost. Well, it's a little more confusing today because it looks like everybody's gonna lose eventually. Matter of fact, most wars, everybody lose uh, in this whole thing, except the people who started it and made a lot of money. So, uh, but they're back at it again, yelling and screaming at each other. And, uh, and our government is saying, they, they, they didn't back off. They didn't leave. They still want to come and invade. Uh, and the first thing is, is why is our government so intensely worried and believe they have total control of Ukraine? That's what it implies. It's, oh, they're, they're invading our country. And, and that's, it's based on that assumption that people, people go along with it. But Biden, you know, was uh, very, very strong on what he said. And, uh, and in, in a quick press conference, uh, he, he was asked a question that he has to say he knew it because his senses told him so. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess if you have good sense, that's okay. But uh, but that was that was it. There was no documentation. I don't think I don't think they ever had documentation other than the fact that uh, Russia was shifting their troops uh, around in Russia, and uh, and of course this was portrayed as being prepared to go in and invade Ukraine. And uh, I guess in theory it could have been possible, and in theory it may still happen someday because of you know maybe some more false flags and accusations and and what whatever but uh right now it's back to where we were the day before yesterday yeah and uh and, and the truth is is i personally don't know whether uh many troops were really pulled back and my my suspicion is that uh, the preparation wasn't really for the war, for a war and moving troops along. Uh, you know, as a strategist, I, I think uh, Putin uh, can uh, send out signals that sort of confuses the West, and uh, especially when they don't have a good reason uh, for uh, looking for a battle with Russia. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, the on again, off again, and we can actually put up that first clip because this is, came from Axios, thanks to Zero Hedge for putting it up first. Um, this first clip is Biden saying that, this is today, he said that his, quote, his sense is that Russia will invade Ukraine within the next several days. Remember, yesterday was supposed to be the day, and that didn't happen. Then it was supposed to be, you know, earlier it was supposed to be the 11th and the 10th and the 20th and this and that. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. Um, look at the next one. Uh, the troops were pulling out yesterday uh, in several places, and the U.S. says that's not true, that's false. They're not pulling out. 
But the, um, the thing that's interesting about this, though, Dr. Paul, is that not only uh, is, is uh, you know, Russia saying that it's not about to attack, but Ukraine, Ukrainian senior officials are vehemently denying that attack is coming. <laughs> they, they realize that they're in the center of this, and the U.S. is not going to come to their aid. And they're, again, we talked about this um, David Arakania, who is the um, uh, parliamentary faction leader of Zelensky's own party. So it's very, very close to the president. And I'm gonna, I, don't, I have it here on my phone. I'm going to read it. Here's what he said. I think in two or three weeks when this phase vanishes, we should do a retrospective analysis of how extremely well-known media outlets began spreading information worse than, and these are, he names two Russian uh, 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 newscasters, said blatant fakes in CNN, Bloomberg, and a Wall Street Journal. We should study this because these are elements of a hybrid war. Essentially, he's talking about the U.S. government, and this is true, I think, conducting a hybrid war using the main news outlets as their conduits because we know these are just stenographers. They're just reprinting what senior officials have told them without doing any analysis whatsoever. You know, they, they, and you mentioned, I think, accurately that uh, the uh, people of uh, Ukraine don't believe that uh, they will get what they were promised. I mean, we make a lot of promises and we do, uh, commit a lot of aggression and coups and all this. But uh, the, you, you mentioned that the people themselves say, well, well, they're not anxious to go to war with Russia because they're not going to really have the defense that is necessary. They know the numbers, too, and the numbers have been not in favor of the uh, NATO forces, even though they have a lot of countries, a lot of weapons. But the one thing that has continued, and it seems like there's a group of people in Washington, it seems that a little bit of this warmongering is good. We might not want this war, but we'll send them weapons. I yeah. think there'll be problems. So the weapons still are flowing in there, and then they, and the different countries, NATO countries are contributing to it, but uh, it's a game they play. A few will make profits, but uh, obviously they didn't want this thing to dry up and blow away that soon. And in a way, they've, they've sort of doubled down in, in uh, you know, making it dramatic how, how terribly dangerous this is. Well, speaking of doubling down, you know, Secretary of State Blinken, he went to the UN Security Council and he just gave a talk. In fact, I just watched it and took some notes on it. But he was not scheduled to speak, but he had to go down there because the crisis was so serious. And I want to, if you if, if, will allow me, just a couple of highlights from what he said. First of all, he began by talking about the Minsk agreements, and those were made in 14 and 15, back when it was still hot. Essentially, that was a ceasefire in exchange for progress toward autonomy for the regions in eastern Ukraine. And now he said the Russians are ignoring the Minsk agreements. Uh, and the fact of the matter is the government in Kiev has done nothing to move toward uh, autonomy for this region. So that's a blatant lie. Here's the other thing, though. The laugh factor is so high for people who pay attention to U.S. foreign policy. Now, he's talking about Russia here. He's not <laughs> he says, one country cannot dictate another country's choices of policies or with whom it will associate. This is the principle of national sovereignty. Oh, and this is from Syria to Libya to endless regime changes to 2014 itself when the U.S. participated in the coup. He says you can't violate the principle of national sovereignty when our own assistant secretary of state is on record, is on tape, 
saying we were going to change the government. But isn't that process characteristic of a lot of politicians, most politicians, especially in our political system right now? You know, when the political parties disagree, which is not always, uh, it, it's, it's always lying about what's coming and trying to stir up trouble. And uh, it's interesting that, uh, uh, you know, on this issue, and we talked about it yesterday, is how Republicans and Democrats have come together. So everybody might not have the same assessment, and they'll still condemn each, each other, but uh, they, they, uh, they, they, they want to do, they want to continue doing this, and they will do it, and they, uh, Republicans, come together. Yeah. They took a break and they came up and there, there were, uh, especially in the Senate side, they had a lot of Republicans sign on to that. So, and is, pretending that they're, it's unanimous in yeah. Washington, nobody ever cares. But what about, uh, what about doing a poll that is legitimate just, just for fun, you know, yeah. to find out uh, how many American people uh, you know, care about this, and uh, you better carry a map with you to give them an idea, yeah. you know, where it is. Well, it's also hard because the mainstream media outlets giving us so much misinformation about it because they're acting as stenographers. But here's a little bit more on Blinken because he's, he, now he claims Russia is preparing to launch an attack on Ukraine in the coming days. We don't know precisely how things will play out. And then he proceeded to say here are five points that we do know, though. Russia plans to manufacture a pretext for the attack. Maybe it'll be a staged drone strike on civilians. Maybe it'll be a chemical weapons attack. Uh, and this reminds us of a few days ago when the State Department spokesman claimed that Russia was about to make a videotape <laughs> of, a, of an attack to try to use that. So that's number one. Then number two, Russia will then theatrically con um, convene a high-level meeting to address the crisis that it created as a false flag. Uh, three, the attack will begin. Russian missiles and bombs will drop, uh, drop their loads across Ukraine. Cyber attacks. Fourth, Russian tanks and troops will advance on Kiev. Uh, number five, Russia will target specific groups of Ukrainians, those evil ethnic cleansers. And the, um, he says, we realize, and this is the part that's funny, and there's this two points finally. He said, we realize some won't believe the U.S. because of previous warnings that did not play out. <laughs> like yesterday. You think so? Duh. Like, like yesterday. But I wrote down, here's the kicker, though. This is, you know, in a nutshell, this is actually the U.S. policy. And this, listen to this closely. Uh, and this is a quote. The others are paraphrasing. This is a quote. If Russia does not invade Ukraine, then we will be pleased that Russia changed course and proved our predictions wrong. So they're saying, basically, if Russia does what it said all along, which is we're not going to attack, we're not going to attack, we have no intention of attacking, if they actually do what they said and don't attack, that means that they changed their course and listened to Blinken and Biden <laughs> and obeyed us and did what we told them to do. Well, you know, Russia expel, expelled a uh, U.S. De uh, deputy uh, ambassador. Yeah. And uh, th that'll probably be used uh, by, by the West to say, you see, it's Russia. Russia's always uh, up in the odds. But uh, I, I would think that uh, in a scheme of things, that probably isn't the biggest issue of the day. And uh, I, I think it was uh, interesting that, you know, Russia, Russia thought they would make a recommendation, and which from our viewpoint as outsiders looking in, except when it's American people and American money, yeah. and, and he's demanding 
that the U.S. leave Eastern Europe. Wow, I wonder, 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 I wonder if they'll respond to that. <laughs> you know, that'll just be another thing to put more blame on them. But it is, it is really sad. And in Ukraine, uh, and we've said it before, that uh, it, this mess really started with our gross intervention in 2014. And uh, now there's, there's really, I guess, at least three factions in Ukraine, uh, two, two groups that want to break out in eastern Ukraine. And then there's the government that we put in place. Yeah. And, uh, but, but, but who knows that? Does, does anybody, you know, we have a couple of that would say it in Congress, but uh, you know the running the bill up there—they would never hint that uh, you know it's our. And you know, even politically, they don't use it. Yeah. You, you know, if it, if it's political, uh, it can be mentioned. Now we mention it, but not for political purposes because we don't think one party is far superior on the other party yeah. on foreign policy because they're all interventionists and they're all pro pro war and they're all. Uh, they, they, they all want to live up to the uh, desires of the military industrial complex. Yeah, and we know there are a couple of good members on the Hill, so th these people are excluded from this next statement. But I would love to see just one Republican have the guts to go up there in the House or the Senate and point to Biden's party and saying, all this is happening because of you guys. You're the ones that started this <laughs> in 2014. You created this whole mess. Uh, you know, and, that would have um, been fun. That would have been fun. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen. I have a couple of quick clips to go through on this, though, because I want to talk a little bit about the media. If we can move to that clip that has the picture of the Ukrainian president, another all-time media faceplant, and I'll do a little, um, I'll do a little uh, bid for people to uh, to subscribe to Matt Taibbi's Substack uh, TK News. Very, very good. He has a great article about how completely wrong the U.S. media has been and how comically wrong. Uh, the U.S. media has been, has covered this whole thing. And here's a couple of uh, tweets that he had in his article. This next one, this is the, the guy from PBS NewsHour, right, being a stenographer, Nick Schifrin. Let's see if we can watch this next one up, please. U.S. officials anticipate a horrific, bloody campaign that begins with two days or aerial bombings and electronic warfare followed by an invasion with the possible goal of regime change. Such detail, such detail. And remember we talked about uh, Melinda Herring the other day, if we can put up this next clip. She's the one that had this, first Russia's gonna do this, then they're gonna do this, it's gonna happen over the weekend, comically wrong. And now here's what she said. Um, uh, she says, emotions were running high and I let them get the better of me. Uh, to which one commentator points out, this is the deputy head of the Atlantic Council. NATO's de facto think tank, and she says predictions about a Russian invasion were based on her emotions, her emotions. She felt that Russia would invade, so journalists globally reprinted her. I mean, that is malpractice. Yeah, but, but there is maybe a creeping a little bit of something that could be beneficial, and that is uh, more people, at least maybe I'm dreaming, are getting more annoyed with our hypocrisy and our foreign policy. You know, how we run it around and, you know, we have all the money and all the weapons and, and all the coups uh, under our belt. And uh, they, uh, they right now, I think our policies are losing credibility. Uh, but it's a shame that this stuff has to persist 
but it's uh, it's so characteristic of uh, what has happened through, throughout history. And uh, somebody here, I read something today that uh, was a policy that under Nixon and uh, implying that, just think, wasn't that the stupidest thing that Nixon did <laughs> went to China? And I thought, I remember, you know, the, the Korean War quite well and, and knowing friends and relatives that had to go over there and some didn't come back. And I thought, well, you know, yeah, sure, we're not going to convert them. But but we might we might learn to live with people if we're doing business with them, and uh, we should be promoting honest business arrangements. But no, it, it's always a political game and an edge and power, and uh, it would be so easy, uh, you know, uh, to condemn the mistakes of other people. But it happens that uh, if you're going to try to be objective and, and, and point out the truth of this, you have to uh, point out the shortcomings of our foreign policy. And of course, that's why we exist, because yeah. uh, after a few years in Washington, we came to that conclusion or, or emphasized that, that policy of uh, non-intervention. I mean, it's a position that the founders essentially endorsed. They weren't uh, perfect in enforcing it themselves, but it, it's a principle that uh, you, you know is, is worthwhile. And if people finally want to live in peace, they have to start talking about it. And you already pointed out about the Minsk Agreement. You know, they're supposed to be talking about uh, you know uh, giving some uh, uh, in, autonomy. Uh, yeah, in, in autonomy in the in the, in the East. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, that, that doesn't happen. And they're, they're back now saying, oh, how horrible this is, you know. So I get, I get tired of the lies, they tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to be awfully tired because yeah. of that. Well, let's move on a little bit. This is a little bit of a good news story, I think, if you're ready to move on to San Francisco. Not literally, I don't think we want to do. But if we can put up that next clip. Um, this is, uh, there we go. This is something you brought up this morning, Dr. Paul. Of all places, San Francisco voters oust three school board members over strict pandemic rules. San Francisco, and I'll just read one line from the AP report on it. San Francisco residents recalled three members of the city's school board Tuesday for what critics called misplaced priorities and putting progressive politics over the needs of children during the pandemic. This is hilarious. You know, they, they get elected. One ringleader here that got kicked out uh, was appointed. I guess it was an open seat and it was appointed by the mayor and he, he was kicked out. And uh, but they they were busy. They didn't just sit there and have coffee. What they did was they wanted to clean up the image of San Francisco. <laughs> so the, the names of the schools bothered them. And uh, so, so they went systematically, that's what they did. They had nothing to do with anything important. So they started changing these names and they were specifically targeting the best schools, uh -huh. the ones that were doing well and they had the highest qualification. But of course that would annoy somebody who's looking for, uh, uh, you, you know, just problems in the, in the inner cities and cause chaos. I mean, those schools, they must've had a, few good things they they were doing a little bit better than the other well we have to we have to change our name and yeah. we have to make them look badly but uh, this is this is uh you know a good story because uh what was this 72 percent of the people voted to throw them yeah, out yeah and uh and of course polling is okay 
but uh, sometimes you don't get a right uh, uh, to poll and vote on this, and sometimes you have to take a stand or take a truck and uh -huh. stand up for something, and you know, and uh, numbers mean something. So we don't have any idea how many people, what percentage of the people in Canada are tired of the lockdown. Yeah. But there has to be a growing number of people uh, getting tired of their prime minister. When you think that it's a, they'd be getting tired of all this because he's ready, he's ready to start and reimpose even stricter conditions. Yeah, yeah. We've mentioned that yesterday or the day before. He wants much tougher. He wants martial laws, essentially what he's doing. I've been watching some of the debates in the in the parliament in in Canada, and there are some stiff opposition. Remember, Trudeau is in a, he's heading a minority government, so he doesn't have the majority of the seats. One, this is a remarkable thing. We'll go back to this in a second. There's a remarkable thing. A Jewish member of parliament stood up from the conservative party and told Trudeau that this is wrong. We need to stop these <laughs> mandates, stop these things. And he said to her, his retort to her is, you're standing with Nazis. And there was a huge outbreak. I mean, there was a fist fight broke out because that is, that is not cool, you know, in any stretch of the way. But anyway, back to San Francisco. It is pretty amazing. Like you point out, they kept the kids home. They want to keep them home forever because it, the teachers, of course, want to sit around in their pajamas. I'm sure the kids that are going to that are now going to Mount Zedong High School <laughs> or Pol Pot Junior High or maybe Che Guevara Elementary School, uh, maybe they'll have their schools uh, now changed back. But anyway, in San Francisco, if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. These are the words that were used to make those schools look badly. They were rem uh, removing the school's name uh, because they were high-achieving schools and they were too successful and they needed fixing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I can say is, well, the people did react yeah. and threw these people out. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's good. Keep it going, keep it going. Well, our last story of the day is also probably a good news story. And there's that final clip just to kind of give an intro into what we're talking about. And this is from um, Roll Call newspaper, Masking Battles show how the issue that buoyed Biden in 2020 won't help the party in midterms. Uh-oh, Dr. Paul. Uh, the masks are no longer winners. Yeah, but uh, nobody knows what the final conclusion will be. But um, I have a suspicion that, uh, you know, it is an issue. And they claim that Biden was helped on the issue because uh, Republicans were uh, told, said to be not caring about the kids and the kids were going to die unless we give them uh, all these shots. So, but they're arguing now this is reversed and the Republicans are going to uh, be benefit from this. And uh, this, is, uh, this is probably hard uh, to, to determine but the vote, the vote will make a difference, and I have a suspicion that right now the Republicans are going to do quite well. Uh, does that mean that if I were a betting person that I'd be willing to gamble a lot of money and make up the bet and say, no, this is it. Republicans are going to clean it up. I would say no. The Republican Party and the leadership, because they're interventionist in foreign policy, personal liberty, and economic liberty, that they're liable to mess this up completely. 
and turn it over. I mean, they've, uh, uh, the opposition is ruthless, uh, and they're willing to do anything and say anything, but uh, the Republicans are capable of, uh, of, of really handling this the right way because, in a way, they're a variation of the same philosophy. They're yeah. all interventionists. They're all b believe in big government in all these areas. So uh, who knows, uh, and especially since the, the media is so powerful, uh, but right now, I would say this is probably accurate, suggesting that Republicans are benefiting by it. But, you know, maybe in six months or so, uh, they might get too cocky and think, yeah. uh, well, we don't need any old-fashioned politics. Uh, you, you know, I heard somebody talking about this issue, and he said one of the problems with Republicans is uh, because they are doing, and, and Trump did better, you know, with minorities. Everybody knows, knows this, even though the media won't report it. So they, they do better with minorities. And somebody that uh, was uh, in, informed on this issue, he said, how many Republican candidates are willing uh, you know, to go and, and talk to minorities. And the assumption is, Democrats' assumption is, they belong to us. You, yeah. If you're black, you vote for me. That's what Biden even <laughs> said it, right? He even you're said black, it. We own you. Yeah. So that's, uh, but now uh, the, the, the people there are, uh, are, are saying that uh, uh, Republicans aren't really out, outreaching in a proper manner. Yeah. And you know, somebody asked me once, how do you how do you do this? Your district keeps changing. You had a farming district and now you have an industrial district and you move your run. And, and this was asked to me by the media. <laughs> said, how do you adjust your message to talk to farmers and like, and, and vote for the farm subsidies. <laughs> then, uh, then you come in and you're along the coast and you have industry and oil and you have to vote for their special interests. And I found that so the most disgusting question I've ever had because the issue of liberty should apply to everybody and that is the reason why it should be appealing to independents. It should appeal to your your uh, the people that are in opposition. And we're always proud, and we worked hard on on talking to uh, uh, progressives who call yeah. themselves Democrats, and they were always, you know, more than uh, just Dennis Kucinich. Yeah, and of course. Now, and now, now there's Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard, and, and she's in that category too. <laughs> she she's getting really strong in defending coalitions and coming together and talking with Republicans. Yeah. Well, I think you nailed it a couple of months ago when you pointed out that really the election in Virginia was a sea change. That was the event. And I think we're seeing these are the ripples from that, you know, stone in the water. Uh, and at the end of that, uh, of that article on roll call, uh, there's an interesting point. And if I were Dens, I'd be worried. A recent poll from the Pew Research Center found that the positive ratings of how public health officials were responding to the pandemic had dropped 10 percentage points since August, with the American public almost evenly divided between approving or disapproving of the response. Maybe the Republicans don't have enough time to mess it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> you know, we have the election. They're going to try. <laughs> don't quiz us on it. And, uh, you know, t to me, and one of the issues that certainly you have worked on the most, and that is the foreign policy and, and the wars that go on. And that that uh, it's unfortunate that it's so bipartisan, uh, but there's a lot of money involved and a lot of activity in every state. And a lot of people work for the industry and they have a powerful lobbying organization. And it, it is so sad. It'll end. Somebody asked me once about, well, when do you think this is going to end? And when, when will this all, all this uh, welfare uh, end? And I, I, I don't say, well, you know, just just get another dozen or two people in Congress 
person. It will change the vote. Uh, no, that's not, not going to end. It's going to end with the bankruptcy. That's how great nations uh, end. They end because they they reach too far yeah. and uh, they they uh, uh, get get themselves way extended. It gets too big. You can't manage it. And sometimes, like the Roman Empire, you have to split it in two, and all of a sudden, some of the you know nature is helping to take care of it because. Uh, uh, it's it's a it's a natural thing that uh, uh, the people who like power and money will go too far, and the people will finally wake up. And we're we're trying to speed that up. People are waking up, and we're going to continue in our effort to wake us up as many people and talk about non-intervention. Yes, exactly. Well, I just want to close. I'm going to say uh, this is my last day of the week, but don't forget to tune in tomorrow. We're Dr. Paul and Chris Rossini are going to talk about all the important economic stuff. I don't know how you fit all the stuff in one show because there's so much going on. But I do want to thank everyone for watching. And please, once again, help us spread the message. This is kind of our way to fight back. The more people we can get to watch the show, the more people we can get to spread the message around, uh, the more we'll grow and the more the influence of the peace and freedom philosophy will grow. So please do whatever you can. Subscribe if you're not subscribed. Like, comment, pass it around to your friends and enemies. Ask them to watch the show. And again, thank you so much for watching, Dr. Paul. Thank you. You know, the interesting part of our job and, and thinking about issues like this and being separate from the mundane mess that you have in Washington and the partisanship, that to me is so boring. Somebody said, why did you do this and why did you become a congress congressman? And the truth is that I never, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to talk about these things because I think they're exciting. It's just too bad that they are so exciting because sometimes it's, they're so dangerous. Uh, war is exciting to the people who's a military strategist, but that's very, very dangerous. And I think that that uh, it can be fun and uh, people, people. I, I liked uh, what was happening in Canada because I think when it's a serious matter and the, uh, the truckers did take on a serious project and that uh, people should get along and they don't know the success, you don't know if they can wave a wand and all of a sudden things are going to be better. And my suggestion is in the process that since we don't know what tomorrow will bring, uh, we should have a good time about it and enjoy it with uh, like uh, with uh, allies, people who are like-minded, and that is good. But we would also like to expand that group of people who are like-minded, and that's why we put this effort into the Liberty Report to get more people to understand why liberty is the answer to so many of our problems. So we will continue with our program of uh, peace and, for peace and prosperity, and we'll do it on a daily basis, and we welcome you back to the Liberty Report.